If you've bought property, you likely funded your purchase partly through a mortgage. If the property increases in value over time by more than the cost of the borrowing, you're better off. In the stock market, using debt is often called gearing. The new BetaShares Wealth Builder Funds, ASX ticker symbols G200 and GHHF, offer moderate gearing across Australian and global shares for investors who are comfortable with the higher risks associated with gearing their investments. You can discover how they work by visiting betashares.com.au. Please don't forget that gearing magnifies gains and losses, so read the relevant PDS and TMD on the website and consider if the fund is right for you. BetaShares Capital Limited is the issuer. This is a podcast by the Rask Group. It's for educational purposes only. So please do not make a financial, legal, investment or taxation decision based on solely what you hear in this show. Welcome to the Australian Property Podcast. We're on a mission to be Australia's most trusted property podcast. I'm Owen Rask, founder of the Rask Group. I'm Pete Wardgen, author and buyer's agent. I'm Amy Lenardi, and I am a buyer's agent. I'm Chris Bates, ex-financial planner and mortgage broker. Together, we'll take you through every step of your property journey. From first home buyer to decades of property investing. G'day, welcome to the Australian Property Podcast. This is our weekly two cents segment. I'm Pete Wargent and I'm here with a very busy Chris Bates. Uh, Chris, how are you going? Pete, life's good, mate. Um, I do have to say this is one of my favourite times of the week and I'm not just saying that. I, I really do enjoy our chats each week and um, yeah, it's just a moment for us to really reflect on what's happened and what's changing and what you're seeing and what I'm seeing and you know all our networks and what they're seeing and so um and then to throw our two cents in, really, on what's happening in the market. And um, there's always stuff to talk about. I think we've been doing this for maybe eight or nine months now. And we're like, what should we talk about today? We've got 10 different options. So, yeah, things have been busy this week for me, Pete. Um, you know, five years in the making, six months working on it. Um, we've done a huge uh, merge with Christian Stevens, one of the, you know, one of the big guys, I guess, in the industry. He won Australian Broker of the Year, one award. I won it at the other national award. Um, and uh, yeah, we're combining to. Yeah, start a new brokerage that's sort of rebranding Blust to now Flint. So we're going to do an episode with Owen um, straight after this one, which will come out in the next few days, and that'll give you a bit more details on why and what we're hoping to achieve. And um, but yeah, I know that things have been busy on your end, Pete. We're we're just seeing a yeah a bit of a mixed bag, to be honest. I wouldn't say that there's this real FOMO in the market yet. Um, and so that's really something that could come in the future. I wouldn't say it's in the market now. I would say there's definitely a appetite for people to buy. Um, I don't think that because of borrowing capacity issues, savings issues, um, you know, just even just the mortgage repayments um, and getting into the market's really hard right now because you've got to have everything in, in your favour. You've got to have great incomes. You've got to have a lot of cash. Um and uh, so I don't think those buyers are there. And also, I think the buyers in the market, they are a little bit picky. You know, they're still not going, I'm going to buy anything on any street. You know, suburbs are quite patchy, I feel. And um, so, and investors are coming back, but they're nowhere near as sort of outrageous as a few years ago. So I would say it's been a, a surprisingly steady, but also, you know, quite optimistic start. And a lot of buyers who have missed out over the last few years have been entering, um, have been buying. So, you know, they've been maybe with us for three years, but haven't purchased. Um 
or, you know, have been putting off an upgrade for three years and finally they're doing it. Um, so what are you seeing up there in, in Brizzy and, you know, other spots, Pete? You stole the words right out of my mouth there, patchy. <laughs> patchy was the word I was going to use. I, I've been chatting to a Got few it. agents this <laughs> week. Yeah, they... Yeah, and uh, it's it's interesting. If you get a, an A-grade property, the open homes are packed and stuff is selling really quickly. But then there's other properties that, for whatever reason, they just don't fly and then they're not selling. Um, we're very, very busy in Brisbane, a lot of interstate buyers and people relocating. But, yeah, not every property is flying off the shelves. It's not FOMO everywhere. And definitely uh, the same, actually, uh, Sunshine Coast, I think prices have come off a bit. Uh, as you said, borrowing capacities are down. It's a little bit patchy. I've actually been in Dubai this week. So uh, lots of construction over there and a lot of international travelers around. But um, yeah, back in Queensland this week. And um, yeah, it's, it's busy. Um, and uh, yeah, I think it's an interesting time for the property market. There's, um, there's potential for things to really take off if interest rates start falling. But for the time being, there's... Uh, some big results being achieved on some properties and other stuff is sitting there uh, not really achieving the same kind of results. So, yeah, patchy, I think, is a good way to describe it. Um, yeah, so, we've had a few yeah. clients recently who try to sell and haven't been able to sell, um, mm. you know. And so, yeah, they're selling first because they want to upgrade and they do want to get out of the property. And the property, I would say, you know, a few clients, you know, they're not poor property. They're not like really busy roads and dark and run down and, no, nothing going for them really and you know those properties are hard to sell uh, unless the market's super hot for any decent price unless you just want to take a bargain price but these are decent assets you know but they're they're highly priced for what they are really and and people are saying well if i'm going to be spending these this type of amount should i be a bit patient and um and so i think that's that's a real litmus test to show that you know the market is still strong but it's not uh you know going crazy um, and that that's that shows that you know price growth is going to be really uh, flights of quality really you know this is what you know downturns really teach I think people who watch property markets is they show that you know when you if you just analyze a property market over hot periods you go oh wow everything just goes up you can't lose in property blah 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 that sort of terminology starts to spin I'll never be able to buy etc and then you go through these down periods and you see wow actually the people who were a bit more patient and took time to get better assets and we're a bit more careful on what they bought not just buying something um have a much smoother ride through these periods and so yeah have you um had any success buying pete have you have you because it's actually hard for you in this market right because yeah there's yeah you, you you can potentially buy stuff that's you know bcs and d's but the a stuff you're like bloody hell there's 50 people at the open <laughs> and you know you're on your back foot yeah, we've had a few. We've got a few over the line, but um, mm. yeah, it's interesting. A buyers agency. There's periods when it's really easy to buy, but nobody wants to buy, and then there's periods where it's very difficult, and that's when everyone comes to you to solve their problem. So, yeah, we've got a lot of searches underway. Yeah, we, we've had some get across the line, but some have taken you know multiple offers and multiple mm. attempts to get stuff bought. Um, because I think because as you said, stock levels are really low. And if you get something that ticks all of the boxes, even for units, um, there'll be 50 groups at the open home and it will sell above the price expectation or the price uh, guidance from the agent. So, yeah, we, we have been getting stuff bought, but we've missed out on plenty as well. So, yeah, so it's a bit frustrating and a bit uh, bifurcated, I guess, would be the way to describe it. So, um, yeah, so let, well, let's have a look at the big three news stories of the week, shall we, Chris? So, firstly... Um, a little piece on suburb record prices because uh, we've seen a number of 
examples of that already in 2024. But I, I just want to do a bit of a drill into that, a bit of a deep dive, what it actually means. Because as we've touched on there, it's not like the whole market's going crazy or, you know, there's there's definitely not the FOMO right across the market. So we'll take a look at that. Secondly, latest wages figures out this week from the ABS. Pretty interesting stuff going on there. And then thirdly, what have we got as a third news story of the week? Property investors returning to Sydney. So we had a bit of a hiatus there. And um, in fact, we actually had a, a very brief period where there are m- more first-time buyers in the market than investors, which is pretty unusual for New South Wales. But that's now reversed again. And the investors are coming back in, I guess, lured by uh, record low rental vacancy rates and um, surging rent in some areas as well. So let's start with the story on suburb record prices. So this isn't actually a news article, it's just an observation that I've been making. Um, but also, um, if you follow Facebook groups like brisbanehomeprices.com, um, well, let, let me just run through a few um, sales from 2024. Um, this is from Brisbane. Carina, 2.46 million suburb record. Chermside, 2.655 million suburb record. That's a big, that's a big uh, chunk of change for... Termside, Tarragindi, 3.75 million suburb record. And that wasn't even in the best pocket of Tarragindi. And then Karina Heights, 3488888, which I guess means um, um, an Oriental or Chinese bio. I guess looking at those numbers, it's, it's funny. Uh, Cameron Kusher was saying on Twitter, an extra million bucks for Karina Heights over Karina. It's all in the, the postcode name, as they say. But I think um, if you're not familiar with some of these areas, these are basically middle ring suburbs of brisbane where historically people have not been paying two and a half to three and a half million uh, to live now when you actually look at the types of properties that are getting those prices um they're generally new builds or major renovations hampton style uh, properties on say five to six or seven hundred square meter blocks and uh, i guess what this speaks to chris is a few things very low stock levels uh, and a very steep increase in building costs i think those are the two factors here that are really driving um uh, it's almost like squirting water through a hose at the very top end of the market in those suburbs prices uh, like we've never seen before actually um, thinking back to late last year new farm saw a sale at 20.5 million which broke broke the previous record by more than 100 percent. so that, that was a big mm. one and actually um down your way i think in sydney there was that place up on the the clifftops at Tamarama, I saw um, uh, Lang Syne, the old bungalow there that sold for 45 million. I see that's now a pile of rubble. So that was basically just the land value. Um, so, yeah, it's interesting, isn't it? What are you seeing down um, your neck of the woods on the New South Wales coast? Are you seeing some top end boom prices or is that more of a Brisbane thing? I think it's absolutely in some suburbs you're seeing some, you know, high end, you know, top of the suburb prices. I mean, the good thing to track here is to go, well, is that actually the best suburb property in the suburb, right? You know, and have a look at the address. Where is it located? Is it a massive block? Is it a north facing rear? It's in the best part of the suburb. It's got access to the public transport and the you know, the shops and the amenity and, you know, is it surround, has it got a view? And I think that's when it gets really interesting. If you start to see, you know, these prices and you go, hang on a sec, this doesn't seem that great, which is the sort of the Saturday night game that my wife sometimes hates that I play um, after the auction uh, results come out at, you know, six o'clock. I'm like having a quick squeeze, what's what's selling and, you know, and they go, well, that's a big price. And sometimes they, you know, you go, well, that's fair enough. 
you know, great property, great frontage, great, you know, you just ticks all the boxes. Sometimes you think, hang on a sec, like that seems a lot for that when you look at other sales in the suburb. And so I think with this sort of story, um, that's how I would really look at it is going, you know, if it's a suburb record and it's the best property in the suburb that's never transacted before, well, yeah, fair enough. But, you know, if it's one of the poorer property, you know, the middle properties, then you go, hang on a sec, if that's worth that, my property might be worth more. And that encourages more people to list, to be honest, because they go, hang on a sec, I didn't think that would sell for $2.6 million. Um, I, I actually wouldn't mind selling my property. Um, and so I have actually seen in past times where suburb records actually, you know, come from retreat a little bit because, Someone's got an astronomical price and um, it can't be achieved by other properties even that are better than them. So, I mean, the Chinese buyer story, it could actually just be a Chinese seller, to be honest. Um, you know, someone, uh, we've had clients uh, who aren't Chinese, let's say, and they've absolutely made offers with eight dates, eights in them <laughs> because they think that might appeal for the seller. Um, and so, yeah, I could flip that one in that direction as well. And uh, But ultimately, I do think it's, you know, not every part of the market. I mean, I'm just looking locally. There's been some some big sales up here, you know, some big prices that, you know, arguably are almost what they would have sold at in 2021. And then I'm seeing other properties that, you know, are BCs and Ds, and they're still well, well down on 2021, you know. Like I'm still talking 20% plus. And so, yeah, I think this is just uh, – and that I think really is this inequality sort of intergenerational wealth. I think this is going to play out for a, a long, long time. Um, we're seeing, you know, not just parents, not just grandparents. Um, I can think of multiple clients in the last three months that brothers and sisters have helped out. Um, and, you know, they're potentially doing a bit better financially than their brother and sister. You know, they've, they can see that they're struggling. They can see they need to get into the market. Maybe there's some nieces and nephews there and, they don't want them to move far away and they, they think if they miss it now and they're doing everything they can to help, you know, and um, remortgaging and giving them money and loaning the money and investing, you know, jointly with properties. And so I think that's, uh, yeah, people who've got access to that are basically touching the whole family bank um, rather than just, you know, mum and dad, um, which is really, you know, creating these haves and have nots, uh, you know, further you know, accentuating that. Oh, we've seen that too, definitely. I think it's, it's the rental market that's driving it. I think a lot of parents are thinking, well, you know, the rental market is really tough to find the place you want. Sometimes people are missing out, being outbid even on rental properties. And I think a lot of parents and, as you said, sometimes grandparents are saying, well, instead of uh, sort of um, stockpiling my wealth and until an inheritance, when it's completely beyond my control, what happens um, to the money you pass on? Why don't I use some of it now to help my kids onto the ladder? It comes with um, a few sort of challenges uh, financially in terms of how you structure it. Um, how do you make sure that your different kids get the same kind of outcomes or similar outcomes? I think Stuart Weems at Pro Solution has done um, some good articles on this previously. And, you know, how do you actually do this if you want to help your kids onto the property ladder? Do you buy jointly? Do you put it into, you know, a, a family trust? There's all kinds of different permutations. But, yeah, we've definitely seen the same thing. You just gave us an amazing insight into your uh, Saturday nights there, Chris. I, <laughs> gone are the days of uh, cruising the bars of the eastern suburbs instead uh, checking on the auhouseprices.com to see the, the, the day's auction results. Uh, I'm sure your wife's thrilled by that uh, Saturday night entertainment. But, uh, yeah, it, just a little quote from realestate.com.au. Uh, Dennis Nazar, director of Place Wool & Gabba, basically said that the newly built homes are selling at a premium price because of the time and cost to build or renovate properties. And he said, 
Um, if people are looking to build or renovate, that just the cost and the length of time spent are much more now uh, than they would have been previously. And in this market, it's easier to buy a new home and people are just looking to make their lives easier. So that, that does make a lot of sense, I think. You know, if you think of the shortages we've seen on materials and trades and the way costs have gone for, for builds and developments, um, I think a lot of people would rather buy the finished turnkey product rather than try and do anything themselves. Yeah, our, um, the appetite for, you know, more larger you know there's still people doing house and land but you know you can see the numbers are at all-time lows and new apartments and off the plan and things like that and um you know i can think of a couple of clients who have come to us in the last six months who have bought off the plan um and uh already before buying coming to us um they can't get out of the contract um so there's no point uh you know trying to discuss whether it was the right decision or not they're in right um and you know a lot of that's way the contracts usually are is it's very hard to on sell prior to settlement um and one of these clients in particular i can think of i don't know how they're going to settle um you know there's been some changes at work borrowing capacities have fallen um and you know there's just there's a servicing shortfall we, we just don't have a solution right now and um we're not sure exactly how we're going to be able to settle this property um and you know speaking to the developer and trying to get out of it and things like that it's a sketchy situation and so yeah, that space in the, the clients coming to us wanting to do, you know, 500, 700 million dollar plus, 1.5, 2 million dollar builds. We saw lots of that um, in 2020, 2021, like an enormous amount. Are we seeing much today? Absolutely not. Um, you know, it's A, because the cost of doing the builds much higher, but B, you got to say, do I really want to do that when I've got to pay 6% interest rates? Um, you know, that million dollar build cost me 60 grand a year to live in it. Um, whereas if I do it when rates are 2% and it costs me 20 grand a year, it's only $1,500 extra a month on interest. Um, we get all these lifestyle benefits. So I think people are like, well, yeah, I love a nicer home, but then I can't A, afford to do it, B, I don't want to pay all this interest. And so um, unless you're super cashed up and you're not going to use debt, then um, you don't really want to go and spend a lot of money on renovations right now. You want to sort of hunker down and wait till there's light at the end of the tunnel and rates start to fall and then you have the confidence to start spending money on your place. So it's going to be interesting to see how it happens to building prices. There's a, you know, you look at the longer term sort of stats on building prices and there's very a big, very rarely a big dip in prices. Um, and so, yeah, maybe the rate of growth slows down, but it doesn't sort of go negative dramatically. So it's going to be interesting to see how builders are able to hold hopefully help their hold their margins for their sake um and you know because their margins are always quite thin and they absolutely got smashed the last few years when the, the building prices ran on them and they were on the fixed price contracts and so um yeah some people can yeah I, I feel like i feel for a lot of builders to be honest a lot of builders have gone under um they weren't you know they were trying to just run a business on tight margins and then that margin got absolutely wiped out and their business got wiped out years and years oh, and years of oh there's been plenty of that yeah you're right the, the bill costs over time have actually increased above and beyond inflation over decades mm. and decades all the way back to as far back as we've got information, which is what um, sixty odd years, and uh, I think mm -hmm. part of that is uh, an improvement in build costs um, or build quality, I should say. I think what people want now is different to what they wanted <laughs> a few decades ago. Yes, I suppose. Yeah, you, you could question that with some of the new apartments, but uh, I think it, you know people are looking, as you said, they they want more space these days. Um, you know, there's, um, there's, it's not really a like-for-like -like comparison, but it's a bit like with fuel prices. They, the, the costs seem to go up, but they, they're very sticky and they don't come back down. Interesting, you, you mentioned there um, you know, some people finding difficulty settling. There's, there was some information out from Westpac this week in their 
uh, latest quarterly figures, and it, it's clear that um, stressed exposures are finally rising now. I think, I mean, that's not a big surprise, right? We've seen this brutal increase in interest rates um, very quickly, uh, but it's just only just now starting to flow through. I think we're probably 80% of the way through the fixed rate cliff now. Uh, but it's if you get a rate hike, it's not a one-time event. You know, those mortgage repayments are recurring every month and the, the stress is building cumulatively. Unemployment just starting to inch up as well. So, yeah, I think it's, um, yeah, I mean, the, the general vibe seems to be interest rates will be on hold for the next six months. But, um, yeah, the stress is just beginning to flow through now. Um, so it'd be interesting to see how all of that plays out um, as the year goes on. So uh, we've got a bit more info, second news story this week. Um, ABS released the latest wages figures, which are, I think are being watched quite closely by the central bank just to, um, I guess, the the feeling used to be that we get this, um, I guess, the wage price spiral, you know, if wages were too hot. Um so wages growth came in slightly stronger than expected, 0.95%, if you want to put two decimal places on it, uh, for the December quarter. Um, if you think back to uh, the previous result, we had the big minimum wages boost this year, which kind of pumped up the figures. So over 2023, wages were up 4.2%. Um, if you look around the traps, Queensland, 4.8% was top of the tree. And WA now is having a bit of a boom, 4.7%. Uh, slowest wages growth was in Victoria for various reasons, 3.7. So if you look, most states and territories are getting uh, wages growth of about 4.3%, I guess, last year. Uh, I think the the quarterly result was a bit better than expected because of um, the pay rise for teachers that flowed through in Q4. Over the year, healthcare, biggest wages growth, 5.5%. Um, and actually, just an interesting thing, uh, uh, the public sector wages growth at 4.3 percent, a bit stronger than private sector. Um, I think if you, if you go back all the way back to the start of this data series, which is 1997, um, you've actually got public sector wages have gone up a bit more than private sector, 133 percent versus 120. So, I think um, we had some really strong wages growth in Australia through the mining boom years, but then since then we've just had really high immigration and the slower economy. And I guess wages growth has been fairly lackluster, really, for about a dozen years in Australia. So getting above 4% is good to see. And now actually ahead of the rate of inflation, which is something we haven't been able to say for quite a while. Yeah, and I think that's kind of the key point here, right? The the cost of living crisis is really hard when, you know, you know your costs are going up higher than what you're getting wage increases. And that money's got to come from somewhere. <clears throat> and I think it's been... Now, particularly bad in um, some other countries around the world. You know, you think about the UK. I think that's that cost of living crisis is you know way worse. The inflation rates got much higher, um, and the wages didn't increase as much. What's your sort of take on what happened in the US and UK around this story, Pete? Yeah, it's definitely different um, setup. So uh, I think um, just generally the story in the US a lot more demand driven. Their economy, uh, the boom, and I think the the interest rate hikes just haven't had the same effect. Um, in some other countries, largely because most people in the housing market are on fixed rate mortgages. So yes, you can see what's happening to the the cost of money, but it doesn't impact people as quickly. Whereas in Australia, most of us are on variable rate mortgages. So you get a rate hike and bang, it's it's flowing through to your your bank account really quickly. Uh, And even with the fixed rate um, surge of people taking out those products, well, they're generally only one or two year fixed rate mortgages, sometimes three. So 
even if the rate hikes don't impact those people immediately, you can see it's coming down the track pretty quickly. So, yeah, I think, um, yeah, I mean, wages growth has been um, stronger in other countries. Uh, the history of this um, uh, data series for wage prices in Australia always seems to disappoint. And um, But, I th- yeah, I think in particular just the last dozen years, we've seen very, very high rates of immigration in Australia. Like we, we saw that through the mining boom, the early 2000s through to 2007, eight, nine, around that period, which kind of made sense because we had the mining boom. But then we just somehow got addicted to very high rates of immigration, uh, even when the economy didn't really justify it. I guess we were backfilling a lot of high-rise apartments there through um, around sort of a decade ago or so. And it, I think that's just really depressed wages growth. Um certainly as compared to, say, the US or the UK, where wages growth has been sky high um, in mm. nominal terms anyway. So, yeah, I think it's, um, I mean, I, I would say this is really a strength rather than a weakness for Australia's yep. policy. You know, interest rates, you can dial them up and down and have an impact much more swiftly and um, it's far more effective, I guess. So um, if you need to cut interest rates to get things moving or if you need to hike them to slow things down, the impact is is much sooner than you might see in, say, the US. And what's your sort of um, take on, you know, there's this idea that, you know, that uh, inflation inflates debt away, right? Um, and wage growth is kind of making debt more affordable, right? Because we've got higher wages means we can take on more debt. If interest rates uh, stay the same, then we can take on more debt. So, you know, could this be the bit of a Goldilocks situation? I'm not saying this is we've got this soft landing that we, you know, we came into uh, COVID, we dropped rates, you know, it's massive increase in, in prices of assets. Um, price of assets have been gone up. Maybe debt hasn't gone up for a lot of people, right, because they didn't transact. Um, but now ultimately their wages have gone up. And, um, you know, if rates start to fall again, have we just inflated some of our debt away? You know, particularly if our rates start to fall dramatically, um, and, you know, the inflation story, you know, has got put back in the bag. Um, what's your sort of take of that? If we fast forward a few years' time, like, you know, has have people that million-dollar mortgage isn't going to be a million-dollar mortgage like it was, say, in 2020, in 2027, right, if wages have gone up a lot and you've kept your million-dollar mortgage, well, that's much more affordable when rate wages are higher, particularly because wage growth isn't even. Um, you know, if we lived in an economy where everyone got paid the same, everyone got paid the same wage growth, then, yeah, absolutely. But, you know, it's unfortunately not the reality, right? Um, and, you know, some markets wage growth as a suburb is much higher because not only the people in the suburb getting, you know, higher wage growth because of the industries they work in and then their stage of life and their careers, but also wage growth is actually the transition of people within a suburb. This is what a lot of people uh, mix up when they think about income growth in a suburb. They forget that, you know, income growth might not be that big at a suburb level, but the buyers in the suburb could be much higher, much higher incomes today than they were two or three years ago. And there's this changing of a guard. It's, it's kind of the ripple effect. You know, medium incomes were buying there, but then unfortunately the higher incomes got pushed out a couple of suburbs in and then they're pushed onto the suburb. So the whole buyer pool's changing and income growth at a whole suburb level is changing very little because only 5% of properties are transacting. But those 5%, those 5% of people coming to are way higher than they were a few years ago. And that's um, something to really look at. So what's your sort of take on this debt inflation? Um, You know, the governments don't mind having big debts as long as it's on low interest rates and GDP is growing. 
Yeah, so I guess that's the the general uh, theory of investing in real estate is that um, it's effectively an inflation hedge. So if you were to take out, for the sake of argument, a 500k mortgage today that's over 25 or 30 years, even if you didn't pay off a single cent of the mortgage, you're on a, a very long sort of interest only term for the sake of argument, um, it, it would feel like debt of about 200 or 250 by the time you got to the end of that mortgage term. Uh, and of course, as you know, as you know, most people pay down their mortgage over time. I think, um, yes, I mean, that, the, the, the nominal wages growth has been quite weak, actually, in Australia since the peak of the mining boom. And only now we're starting to see it pick up again. Um, so I think, um, yeah, I mean, you're right. I mean, if you look at um, inflation cumulatively since 2020, and more so in some other countries, actually, you know, you're probably looking at maybe 30% increase in the cost of living. Uh, it, for things like build costs, it's been more like 50, you know, and that's over a relatively short period of time. And I, I guess that's how it works with um, real estate as an inflation hedge is that, you know, if you get two or 3% inflation, it doesn't sound like a lot, but if you're sort of compounding that out over 10, 20, 30 years, it does have a big impact. Um, I think another thing as well is that um, what tends to happen is that the wage price index might show you know, three or four percent growth, but for most of us, anyway, as we progress through our careers, we'll go from. Well, I'll take my own journey as an example. You know, I started out as a graduate, um, training to be a chartered accountant. I think my first salary would have been, gosh, it's a few years ago now, but for the sake of argument, about thirty-five k or something like that in Aussie dollar terms. And then you sort of go up the the ranks, and then you become like a senior analyst, and it might be you know, a bit more. And you get, once you qualify as a chartered accountant, you're probably earning about double. And then you've got managers and senior managers, directors, partners, and so on. So even though the, the wage price index might be doing one thing, your personal income earning potential tends to improve over time. I think the other thing, as you touched on there, is that in some suburbs that are gentrifying, um, or if you're getting that ripple effect of prices, then the, the demographics change within a suburb. Um, there's some really good examples in Brisbane, like the Inner West, Indooroopilly, and people get priced out, so they go further along the train line. And they go out through uh, Graceville and Sherwood and Corinda, and now they're buying in Oxley. And um, you know, eventually people get priced out of there, and they move further along. So the demographics within suburbs change, and people's incomes tend to increase as they go through uh, their careers as well. Yeah, and it absolutely can slow down. You know, someone's career they could buy a property, and they were on their peak salary, right? And they bought a house in X suburb, and then they lived there for thirty years, and right, so. You know, their wage may have been peak and maybe it's gone down because they've started to you know dial their hours down and got into retirement but you know if that person that's uh in their 60s 70s 80s downsizes and then they leave the suburb um or someone dies um and someone else moves into the suburb like you know then the wage growth can really start to change on the buyers in that suburb and so i think that's a really thing people to really try to you know try to consider more and more how um, yeah, how a suburb's shifting and, and who's the buyers and who's ultimately, what are they earning and what cash have they got access to? And Because um, that's what drives prices is the buyers in the market today and ultimately what the buyers will be in the market in the future. Um, and the more money they have and the more money they earn ultimately will mean that they've got um, high borrowing capacities and more money to spend. Um, and so you've got to always be thinking about the buyer today, the future buyer, um, and what's their financial setup to drive prices. I saw some debate on social media this week about why do we even need to have inflation? Why why can't we just have 
yeah, the cost of living staying flat. Um, I guess uh, that's a that's a long form discussion, but generally the idea is that with a, a fairly sort of well anchored rate of inflation, people will be encouraged to spend and invest rather than stockpile their cash. Um, and what we want to avoid, I suppose, is deflation where people feel like putting off their expenditure into the distant future because uh, things are getting cheaper. Um, so the, that's the economic theory. And I guess if you went back to the 1930s, for example, those periods where we had deflation, it wasn't good. You know, we get into this liquidity trap. So, yeah, I mean, it's a it's a big discussion that, but it's, I mean, like this is the system and you've got to work with it. Um, it inflation might not sound a lot you know we we had what seven percent in australia but if you project it out over the years like you look back at what stuff cost 10 20 30 years ago it, the cumulative impact is enormous and um, i guess that's why uh, well located real estate has tended to act so well as an inflation hedge the demand for land goes up and the cost of building uh, never seems to come down and um, over time um, prices go up mm. now in that context chris third and final story of the week property investors returning to sydney and uh, it was reported in domain's latest house price report that sydney's median house price hit an all-time high of nearly 1.6 million at the end of 2023 so i mean it's quite a good example if you think back uh, as far back as we've got reliable figures to about 50 years ago um well, you know, the price of a house was under 20,000 in Sydney and now it's 1.6 million. That's the cumulative impact. Um, so what's happening? Rents are rising and investors are coming back. I think um, Domain showed very or relatively little year-on-year price growth for Melbourne, Canberra and Hobart. So maybe um, you know, Melbourne might be the contrarian play uh, now with uh, Sydney getting expensive again. Just interesting to see macro business, Leith Van Onselen did a piece uh, showing how uh, investor loans are now 40% of the market in New South Wales again. There was a little period during COVID where there were more first-time buyers in the market than investors, which is really unusual for New South Wales. But that's now gone away again. The investors are coming in. So we'll have that tension, I guess, again, where investors are competing for similar stock as first-time buyers. Um, and I, I think what's happened is that investors were out of the market for quite a while, but now we've got record low vacancy rates. Uh, rents are up 15, 20% over the year, and it's just bringing people back in. Probably a sense that we're close to the peak of the interest rate cycle as well. Yeah, I think that's absolutely what's happening. Is the investors are usually people. I think a lot of these investors are first time time investors as well, first time buyers that you know can't afford to buy something to live in or in an area they want to be, and so they're just buying an investment property. Um, so yeah, I think it could be some of the investors that have come into the market uh, are actually first home buyers. Oh, we absolutely are seeing uh, people who are in homes um, that they want to live in long term. They've got a buffer. They're on top of their mortgage. You know, they don't need to do any major renovations to it. They, you know, got a long runway there. They ultimately this is their forever home, and they've sort of said, well, you know, yeah, we potentially might want to live in some property long term in the future, but you know, we absolutely love where we want to be and. We've got heaps of equity and we've actually got a decent borrowing capacity right now. And that's unlikely to change much in the future because their incomes are sort of at a certain level. So you're talking more of the, you know, mid, maybe early 40s to mid 40s type of person. Um, and uh, they're going, well, I've still got a long way to retirement. I need to do something for my future. I have just focused on paying my mortgage down and doing some renos. I am putting a bit into super, but I know I can't put in a ridiculous amount in there over the next 20 years. And so... You know, do I use my borrowing capacity now or do I, 
you know, potentially just buy some shares or what do I do? And I think that's where I think these investor numbers are getting driven by that type of person who is also saying, hang on a sec, my kids are maybe 10 or they're six or they're 12 and they're going, hang on a sec, how are they actually going to be able to rent something in 10 years' time? Maybe I should buy an investment now that they can sell one day. Um, that is a lot of the motivation I find with investors is that they're, they're doing it, yes, for themselves, but they what actually motivates them to take action for themselves is, is seeing the future pain for their kids. Um, and, you know, they, they sometimes people say, I want to buy a property for each kid or something like that. I sort of try to reframe it and say build family wealth that you can then help kids. Like don't buy assets for them, just build your own asset, asset base, and then you can make a decision on, how you help and when you help and what you do, depending on how their life plan, plan plays out. You might not want to give them the money or give them the property if they enter a relationship that, you know, then they get a de facto issue or whatever it might be. You, you, you sort of you want to be able to hand it out when you want to handle that at the right time. It's actually going to help them the most. You might have money to start a business. Um, so, uh, yeah, sometimes just allocating properties to kids. I don't know if that's the best option, but just buying properties and assets for them and getting them to grow the longer term is a good strategy. And so... Um, yeah, I, I do like seeing the first home buyer do really well. I, I do like to see that number like it did in 2021 overtake investors. But, uh, you know, when you look out over the longer term, you know, the, the investors have absolutely smashed first home buyers entering the market. You know, in those numbers are all showing, you know, circa 35, 40% of lending in sort of Sydney. Um, and first home buyers like 15, 20% of the market. So it seems like we're going back to sort of those longer term averages. Um, that's actually good news for the rental market. Maybe not great for the first home buyers, but the other side of the investor story is there's still a lot of investors bailing. Um, a lot of the the properties on the market where there are listings and there's you know where they're in the apartment market. Apartment markets are owned way more than thirty percent by investors. It's you know they're more like 50, 60, 70, 80 percent, right? And so you know while more investors are entering and more likely buying apartments due to affordability. It um, there are also a lot of investors bailing and I think that's one of the issues that um, I would say in the rental market is I don't see that end in sight that there's going to be lots and lots of choice for renters. Definitely. Actually, some of the properties that were getting off market or pre-market are, are properties that are tenanted and they were properties that were bought maybe 2021, 22, where people are, were buying on very low fixed rate mortgages and now they just, they're just looking at it with 6% mortgage rates breathing down their neck and they're like, you know what, I'm, I'm going to cash in here. Um, so we've seen plenty of that actually. And yeah, you, you're right. Some of those um, trends I think are just ongoing now. The uh, parents helping their kids, uh, we're seeing so much of that at the moment. Just um, they, they've got sort of retirement wealth, but they're thinking, well, maybe I should pass it on now rather than later. Just help the kids onto the ladder, seeing that all over the place, um, you know, New South Wales, Queensland. Um, yeah, so I think it's um, yeah, it's probably going to be an ongoing uh, trend. As, uh, I think there was this thing about 10 or 12 years ago where people were saying the first home buyers have been knocked out of the market. But when the ABS actually analysed it, a lot of the investors were actually first-time buyers, but they were in, buying an investment property as their first property onto the market. The number of first-time buyers hadn't changed that much, and I guess we'll see a bit of that now too. And as you said, uh, some people will, will rent and and uh, buy an investment property as their first foothold onto the ladder, and that, that can make sense uh, for various people. I think in in Sydney, there's there's often been this thing where uh, people who are Sydney siders they just 
don't look into states in the more affordable markets. They just think Sydney is the place and I'm just going to buy in Sydney. But yeah, looking at some of those uh, year-on-year prices, uh, there's probably some other markets that will get some attention, not least Melbourne, I guess, um, with uh, prices not having uh, rebounded to anything like the same extent as Sydney. So, um, Chris, uh, we're almost running over time here. Um, you've gone through a big... A change and a rebrand this week. Now, where can people go to to catch you these days? I know you've gone through a rebrand. Absolutely. Blast is still running for the next few weeks. Um, Blast.au, but more importantly, the best way to get in contact with us um, is through the type form in the show notes. Um, Team would absolutely love to help. And um, Pete, you got any more capacity at the moment? I know you've got a lot of buyers out there. How's um, how's the team and they you can handle a few more clients up in Brizzy or Newcastle where you're buying? Yeah, we certainly can. Yeah, the team's been very busy, but we're getting a few bought now. I guess listings are starting to pick up third week of February, so we're actually mm. getting a bit more choice. So, yeah, Alan Morgan, property buyers, alanmorgan.com.au, drop us a line. Always happy to have a chat. So, yeah, just to wrap up on this week, suburb record prices in some parts of Middle Ring, Brisbane, but the market overall, I would say, is, is much patchier than uh, some of the media might have you believe. Uh, wages trends, uh, 4 wages growth in 2023, but we'll probably see that slow to closer to 3% this year with immigration picking up and property investors coming back into the Sydney market, uh, pushing prices up again. Uh, It's like a story that goes round on a loop, that one. So, uh, Chris, brilliant to chat as always. Um, Yeah, I look forward to catching up around the traps at some point and uh, enjoy the rest of your weekend. Thanks, Pete. Happy Sunday, everyone. Chat next week. Cheers. Thanks for tuning in to the Australian Property Podcast. If you love the show, why not subscribe or leave us a review on Apple or Spotify? And if you want to work with me, Amy, Pete or Chris, you'll find links in your podcast player to get in contact with us. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Australian Property Podcast. We're huge advocates of getting the right advice at the right time from the right people. That's why it's important to understand that this podcast episode contained general financial information only. It is not designed to be specific or personalized to your financial, tax or legal situation. With property, the check sizes are pretty big, so it's important you get advice from a licensed and trusted professional before acting on the information you hear in RAS podcasts. Thanks again for listening. For more than a decade, I've been hunting for the best investors and their methods, strategies and tools for investing. After years in the industry, countless books, a few degrees, and 1,000 podcasts and live shows, I've rolled this accumulated knowledge into something called Rask Invest. If you've ever heard me talk about a core and a satellite, active and passive, true long-term compounding, or you simply want to know exactly how I would invest, now is your chance. Rask Invest is our new investment service designed for all types of investors who want professional management of their core portfolio at a low cost from a team they trust. Rask Invest helps you automate your wealth creation and passive income. Simply click the link that says Invest with Owen in your podcast player to join one of our live platform walkthroughs or book a call with us. You can also view the Rask Invest PDS and TMD and get invested with me.